Are you ready to get into the word? Enough announcements, enough pleasantries. Let's get into the word. Would you join me in praying this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence in and through this place. God, I pray as I often do, would you anoint me as your vessel to communicate your heart and your word to your people. Lord, your word is already anointed, but I never want to communicate anything of my own ideas or opinions. Because, Lord, nobody can trust that. But what we can trust is the unchanging word of God. So, Lord, would you encourage us? Would you equip us? Would you, Lord, uh, enlighten us? In your word today, challenge us, change us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I want to take a few moments off the top of our time together, just a few brief moments together around God's word, and kind of dial us back in a bit. You've heard me say this a bit over the years, that they've actually studied this out, proven this to be true. Science would say that we only remember 10% of what we hear. Now, that's very discouraging to a pastor, right? You know, we spend all of our time just laying before the Lord and like, y'all only going to remember 10%. Come on, can I get 11? Can I get 12, you know, on a Sunday? And so just imagine this, if you will. You hear a message for, you know, roughly 30, 40 minutes. You walk away only remembering 10% of what you heard. But then you tell that 10% to somebody else, and then they're only remembering 10% of your 10%. And so now I really feel encouraged that your friends only know 1% of whatever I said. And it's probably that one time I put my foot in my mouth, right, and I said something highly inappropriate, and I asked them to delete it from the, uh, the podcast before it got posted for the masses. No. But I wanted to bring us, dial us back in to the journey, if you will, that God has kind of had us on over these last several weeks. We've dedicated, we had dedicated the entire month of October once again to prayer, to fasting, and really believing for God, as I said, I believe just that image of tilling the ground, of breaking up the soil once again for him, to, for what he's, I believe, going to speak to us in these next several weeks. I believe the month of November is going to be critical. But I want to, once again, if you will, bring us a bit on a recap so we can see the progression of what God is doing and then set us up for what he's going to say to us this morning. Are you with me? So the first thing we went through in this journey was we taught a whole message around teach us to pray. Because some of us, when we hear about 31 days of prayer and fasting, it sounds intimidating. Because we're like, okay, what am I supposed to do with the other 31 days after I pray the two minutes of prayer that I know to pray for, right? What's left? How do I keep praying? How do I, as Paul would write, pray without ceasing? How do I pray continually? And so we looked at several weeks back about God teach us to pray. The disciples could have asked Jesus anything. They walked closely with him. They saw everything that he did in his life, and they boiled everything down to there's something about the way that he prays that seems to be the thing that unlocks everything. It unlocks the power that was outworking in the life of Jesus. And so the disciples are saying, listen, I want to operate in that type of power. I want to see that type of life change. I want to see miracles happen in my life. And so there's a, a common denominator, Jesus, that we've seen. It has to be when it keeps saying, you go away. And what, what are you doing over there, Jesus? Are you, are you praying? Are you reciting the prayers that we recited? Because the disciples, it wasn't that they didn't know how to pray. They actually were, were very schooled, very educated. They would have been part of their upbringing, if you will, to learn how to recite traditional prayers, if you will. But they said, no, 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 teach us how to pray as you prayed. How many of you want to be able to pray and operate in the power that Jesus did? That, that is what the disciples said. Listen, I want to be able to pray as you pray because I want to see this, the power of God manifest in my life the way that it manifests in yours. And I've shared this so much over these last several weeks that every time we go on a dedicated time of, of corporate prayer, 
it's not just about what corporate prayer unlocks when we gather together, but it's about hopefully developing a hunger and an appetite in your life, a discipline that is created in your life so that you don't have moments of seeing God move in your life, but you live a life of God movement. Are you with me? I don't want to have moments where God moves in my life. I want my life to be the example of God at work, right? And so we're seeing, we looked at, God teach us to pray. How, how do we pray and operate underneath the power that Jesus would? So we connected a few things. I encourage you, if you missed that message, to go back and listen to it. But we looked at seven key things that he then explained to the disciples of how we should pray. We connect to God relationally. We go to him as father, right? We talked a lot about our posture. We talked about praying his agenda first before we got to anything else, right? We talked about these several things about how we pray. And then we moved on, okay, now that we know how to pray, then if there's something we need to be able to do right now, it's to be able to discern, right? How many of you know that right now there's a lot of counterfeit that is being held against truth? And there's a lot of people who, if we're all honest, probably all of us in the room to some degree, who are being easily deceived by something that appears to be right and appears to be true, but actually holds no truth at all. Can I remind you something? That the devil has never created anything. He only perverts what God has created. And so he is not a creator of anything. He doesn't possess the ability for creation. Only God possesses that ability. But right now, it's important that we can discern the day, right? Being able to know. So we looked at discernment and realizing this is the time that we must remember. Right? This has all been a time of equipping, of saying, listen, I've got to remind myself that I don't fight against flesh and blood. That there's a spiritual battle happening all around us right now. And the devil's number one agenda is to get us to turn the fight against each other. Because if I'm fighting you, I'm not fighting him. Right? So we looked at discernment. And how we gain discernment in our life is remembering the spiritual battle that's at play. We remember a posture of humility, saying, God, I can't do this without you. We, we knew about, we talked about this hunger for prayer. We talked about this hunger for God's word, which then ultimately led us to last week. Just keep going with me. I'm just tracking us back on, if you will, to get to what I'm going to share with you fresh this morning will make all the more sense. As then we looked at our vision, right? Because when we begin to pray and we ask God to discern, but at the same time, we want to be able to not just see, I want to see clearly. I want to see with the perspective that heaven has. I want to, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of 2020, I still want to fix my eyes on God's goodness rather than the hell that is breaking out all around me. God, show me you in the middle of the storm. You've heard me say this over the years, that shalom peace is not the absence of the storm. It is peace in the middle of the storm. It is remembering. So God, help me to be able to see as you see. And we talked about, we ended last week, and this is where I want to pick up this morning. We ended last week on, okay, if I know vision is so critical, because frankly, if I can't see, when vision is removed from me, I then go into a scary place where I'm left to only trust my feelings. And how many of you know that's a scary place when you're leading your life based on what feels right, what feels like it in the moment? So we talked about, okay, if vision is so critical and I feel as though I can't see and I feel as though that I'm operating based on my feelings, how do I regain vision? And we looked at three key things, and this is kind of where I want to pick up 
if you will, this morning, one of which was we forgive. It is taking out and forgiving those who have offended us or maybe going and asking for forgiveness against people that we have offended. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then we ended with talking about declaring the promises of God over our life. So we've gone through this whole progression. God, teach me to pray. Help me to be able to discern. And then help me to restore my vision. But then I began to ask God this question this week. God, what do I do with what I see? Because oftentimes we're asking for God to reveal things, but then when he reveals them, we don't know what to do with what he reveals. Prayer brings things to the surface. Prayer unmasks what has been uncovered. Prayer begins to separate, remove the veil, if you will, away for us to be able to see clearly. So it's one thing to have clear vision, but it's another thing to know what to do with what I see. Are you with me this morning? If you got your Bibles, go to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I got to hustle. Here we go. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Starting at verse 1. One day, the group of prophets. I always like to hang out in that group. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got a word for you. No, I got a word for you. Right? Ooh, sound like. Christmas vacation. Okay, one day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. It's too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. And there we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. And when they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as, excuse me, but as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall? The man of God, who was Elisha, asked. And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it. Everybody say grab it. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. The man reached out and grabbed it. Have you ever maybe been leaving the house? And this happens a lot. As you can, as you can imagine, I've, uh, I've used this uh, safe environment many a times for very healthy marriage counseling. Right? This is always good to do. From the platform. No, it's never good to do from the platform, but it's not going to stop me now. So, um, have you ever maybe husbands been walking through the home and there's obviously something sitting on the counter that your wife has been looking for and you see it and she didn't grab it. So you just assume she didn't grab it. We must not need it, even though it was the tickets to the place that we were going to go. So we just get in the car and you start driving down the road and, Hi, babe, I forgot the tickets, right? And you're like, yeah. I, I saw him, on, saw him on the counter, right? And your wife looks at you and goes, are you kidding? Right? Like, you saw it, but why didn't you grab it? You knew that it was instrumental to getting to where we were going. You could see it clearly, but why didn't you just grab it? Right? Have you ever had just that debilitating 
moment right there. Oh yeah, I saw your purse or your wallet, babe, on the counter. If you saw it, why didn't you grab it? You know, as I'm reading this story in 2 Kings chapter 6, I was thinking about what didn't happen rather than what did happen. It would have seemed feasible, if you know anything about the life of Elisha, Elisha has the double portion that was given to him. He was the armor bearer, the protege, if you will, to Elijah. And after Elijah was taken up, this double portion gets rested on him. And Elisha operates and every miracle that he begins to perform happens on a personal level. Elijah was a prophet to the nations. Elisha was a prophet to the people. He was a prophet to individuals. Scripture describes the life of Elisha as what they would call a type and shadow of Jesus, meaning that we would, it would be a foreshadowing in his life of the power and the operation and the anointing, if you will, that Elisha would operate in, we would see later in the life of Jesus. And I, God just spoke, once again, fundamental word here for you this morning, but God began to spoke, speak to me that it, what prayer really does is it bubbles things to the surface for us to be able to see clearly. But oftentimes we see clearly and we are expecting what we see to become reality when Jesus is waiting for us to reach down and grab a hold and partner with what he's revealing. I, I could imagine, if you will, the, the prophets that were with Elisha, that as he sees it bubble to the surface, he's kind of like, okay, I, I see it. What are you going to do now? You, you're going to get that for me? You're going to pick it up for me? Or is the axe head going to float magically and, and, and reattach itself to? And, but there was no. There, there was a participation, if you will. There was a bending over. There was a reaching out. There was a grabbing a hold of and reattaching that axe head. And, and just really simply and metaphorically, I believe that there have been things that maybe God has been revealing to you or renewing to you in this time of, of, of prayer that have kind of bubbled to the surface or maybe it's happened time and time again previously. And you're like, yep, God, I see it. And he's just saying, hey, would you grab it? Would you grab a hold of it? Would you run with it? The thing that I've revealed to you, the thing that I've showed you, would you grab, would you partner, would you, would you reattach, would you bend over, would you fully partner yourself with what it is that I'm showing to you? But here's the thing that I've realized over the years is that there's a lot of us who have to stop praying and asking God to do things that God doesn't do. Let me give you a for instance because I can feel the uncertainty in the room. Uh-oh, here comes heresy. Nope, just wait for it. Can I tell you something? God's never made a table. God has never in his life designed a piece of furniture. He's never made a piece of furniture ever. Never made a table. Never made chairs. You know what God made? God made trees. God made raw materials and then gave you and I the ability, the power, the mind, the creativity to then partner with the materials that God has created and revealed to then partner with and make something transformational. And oftentimes we're praying for God to make couches and sofas and tables and chairs. And I feel as though God's sitting there going, hey, I don't do that. You do that. My responsibility is to place in your hand and to reveal on your earnest seeking of who I am. It's oftentimes, where, if you will, that I've got to show me over the years, God, help me get out of this financial mess that I'm in. 
How many of us have prayed, God, if I could just have $10,000, my life would be changed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! And we're disappointed when God hasn't sent us a check from the anonymous source of $10,000. But yet God is beginning to spark a level of creativity in your mind to start that business or to see that, see that situation differently. And we're, we're completely disregarding what God is revealing and implanting. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The way to 10000 and more is you partnering with what I'm revealing to you. Is you reaching out and grabbing what is being brought unto the surface. God, I don't understand how my family, I'm just, some of us are crying out for our family and our marriages to be reconciled. Like we're going to wake up one morning and my wife is going to love me more than she did yesterday. Or maybe God is trying to get through to you how you can love your wife better and therefore th there's a healing that is happening in your marriage that doesn't just happen in a season where the moment feels right, but rather something foundationally you can build your future on. God is saying, listen, I'm revealing, I'm equipping, but there's a responsibility on your end. And I wonder just how much, how many of us are praying to God and are getting frustrated with God, and it seems as though he's not doing things, but can I tell you something? There's certain things that God doesn't do. And right now, as we've been praying, or we've been quoting so many timeless, if you will, foundational scriptures, 2 Chronicles 7:14. if my people will call by my name or humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. And, and we talk about all this healing that's going to come from heaven, and, and it's going, hang on, God, or... Something's not lining up. There's a missing connection. There's a missing connection on who I believe that you are and what I'm seeing manifest in my life. And God is saying, listen, I haven't changed. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So maybe, just maybe, God is actually waiting for you to bend over and grab it. To go out and grab a hold of what he's revealing. To begin to run with the thing that God is showing. Are you with me this morning? I've said this many a times in, in, you know, in, in leadership talks and things along those lines over the years. That one of your, if you will, revealers of what you're passionate about is your level of frustration. Can I tell you something? You don't get frustrated about things that you don't care about. And how many of us at times get see something, God reveals something, we're frustrated with it. We're like, man, I really wish somebody would fix that. Man, I am so frustrated that the church isn't doing more in this area. I am so frustrated that, my, that our company is deficient in this area. Oh, I'm so frustrated about all of these different things in our life. And God's saying, yeah, I actually gave frustration as a gift in hopes that you would do something with what I'm revealing to you. Yee. Some of y'all are going to get this message on the drive home. I'm going to be like, whew. I wish I would have said amen in the message, but it's okay. Frustration. I that's why I never get upset or intimidated or feel awkward about people who I know want to sit down with me to, to air their frustrations. Because I'm just sitting down with somebody who cares. If you're not frustrated about anything, you probably don't care about anything. Frustration is a gift. And so here, I believe, just once again, simple message. You, you came to Children's Church this morning, right? I'm just giving you felt bored Jesus right now. 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha goes down, he strikes the water, the axe head floats. And I can imagine the prophet's just like, and for your next trick, Elisha's saying, no, go, grab it. Jesus is saying, no, just 
grab it. We see this again. Luke chapter 10. Are you with me this morning? Not going to preach much longer. Short, abbreviated, protein bar message for you this morning. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Chapter 1. Chapter 1. Verse 1 says this. This is right after. This is immediately after Jesus has sent out the 12 disciples. He sent, he's given them power. He sends them out. He commissions all 12 of them. Luke chapter 10, the very next chapter, Jesus says this. says, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs. Sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. And these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out more workers into his fields. In other words, Jesus is sitting here and he's commissioned, just commissioned the 12, but he goes, hang on, the, the 12 aren't enough. I need to send out 72 other ones. To kind of just go out into the, the, all the places that I'm already planning to visit, but to kind of begin to, to prepare. But Jesus knew, listen, these 72 are going to get out there and they're going to realize, they're going to see some stuff. They're going to realize that 72 sounds like a lot, but we actually need a lot more. And he challenges them with this. Don't pray for the harvest. Ooh, this is going to challenge some of us in the room. He said, don't pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more harvest. Because frankly, you can't handle the harvest. And the harvest is not for you. The harvest is for the Lord. The harvest is for God. He says, your responsibility, you're going to go out, you're going to see some stuff. In other words, the more I operate in what God's called me to, the more overwhelmed I'm going to feel. And so I need you to understand your reliance upon me, but I don't need you to actually pray for more harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest isn't the issue. What I need you to do is to begin to see differently and begin to pray for more laborers. Pray for more. I wonder right now if as a church we're praying for the wrong thing. God's saying, listen, there's no problem with the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. You can't handle the harvest. You can't handle the truth, right? You can't handle the harvest. Don't pray for more harvest, pray for more laborers. Harvest is always there. The issue is laborers. You're going to see some stuff. It's going to overwhelm you. And what do you do with what you see? Are you praying just for more harvest or are you praying for more laborers? What do we do with what we see? Charles Spurgeon would say this, the word send out laborers, the Greek word is actually much more forcible. You ready for this? It is that. He would push them forward and thrust them out. Catch this. It is the same Greek word used for the expulsion of a devil from a man who is possessed. It takes great power to drive a devil out. It will need equal power from God to drive a minister out to his work. Jesus is saying that with the same force... The same, this is the same Greek word that is used for casting a demon, a devil, out of a man. It's the same word that he uses about sending out laborers. That it's going to take. So he's saying, listen, it's not, there is an intentionality. There's a forceful prayer. There's a God. We, the harvest is plentiful. But laborers are what we need. Laborers are what we need. What do you do? 
with what you see. God is constantly beginning to reveal. And I'm just wondering if there's just a lot of us who are just, if you will, spiritually constipated. Where we're just like, Lord, I, I see it, I feel it, ooh, I feel it, right? But let it come out in Jesus' name, you know what I mean? Like, let's go somewhere, let's grab hold of this, let's run with this. I wonder if God is just waiting. Waiting. He's not waiting on a harvest. He's waiting for more laborers. He's not. He's, he's waiting for a, a partnership. He's waiting for us to to get in link in, in link. It's in line and sync in link. Right. Adding words today. Darian, come come save the preacher, if you will. I'm almost done. Here he is, and he's beginning to say, "Would you grab it? Would you grab a hold of it? Would you run with what I'm revealing?" Would you lay hold of it? Maybe the frustration that you have, God is sitting there going, I, I've revealed it. I've sent it by pigeon. I've sent it by smoke signal. I've sent it by pastor. I've sent it by podcast. I've sent it by, and I've, I, I don't know how else to send it. I, I wonder if God's just sitting there at times just shrugging his shoulders. Like, what, what? What more do you want? Write it in the stars. Okay, I wrote it in the stars. Okay, I see it, God. What do you do with what you see? What do you do? With what you see. We see this one last example for you. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. What do you do with what you see? Numbers chapter 20 is the end. It's the end of the story of Moses. Moses is led the Israelite people, he's led them out of slavery, out of the confinements of Egypt. We know that he goes after this, Moses was the, the, the leader who led them out, led them out of bondage, led them out of slavery. And Moses goes into the, the wilderness, if you will, for these 40 years, and we know famously the story, they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness. Somebody asked me one time, hey, um, why did it take 40 years for the Israelites in the wilderness? He said, because they couldn't learn it in 39. That's why it took 40. They couldn't learn how to trust God in 39 years, so it just turned into 40 years. Could have been 41 years. Dad jokes, I know. But his life full of Moses, is this encounter that Moses has with, with God, God equips Moses and says, hey, you're, you're going to be the leader my people, and he says, listen, well, I, I can't, can't speak, he says, who made your mouth, Moses, one of my favorite, like, God rebukes right there, who made your mouth, Moses, and ultimately, he, he graces Moses to lead the Israelite people for those 40 years, with Aaron to be a mouthpiece, and a, and a staff in his hand, and every miracle that Moses performs in leadership in his life was with a staff in his hand, he struck the rock early, and water began to flow, he parted the Red Seas, he, uh, every, everything that he did before Pharaoh, literally every single, you read through the entire life, he turned the bitter waters into sweet uh, waters at Mara, right, and, and then they go on to Elam, and all of these things began to happen in Moses' life, but what he held in his hand, and it's the very end of the journey of Moses now in Numbers chapter 20, the Israelites are moving their way out of the wilderness, getting ready to inherit the promised land, but all along what's been ringing in Moses' mind is this lack of trust, this lack of 
believing what he sees, believing even what he hears God saying to him about God using him and using his mouth and using him as a leader. To God. Moses was always, the, the intention of Moses' life was, wasn't just to lead the people out, but it was to lead the people in. Come on, it, it wasn't about just setting them free, but it was about ushering them in to the newness of what God was doing, to the fulfillment of the promise of what God had said. But then, this is what has taken place in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, the exact same challenge is made to Moses. To, to speak to the rock, for water to flow, and refresh the people. In the beginning of Moses' journey, he didn't believe God, he didn't trust God, and therefore he struck the rock. And so this exact same challenge comes back around. Jesus, sorry, God brings it full circle. And says, I've continued to show you. I've continued to remind you. I need you to trust me. I need you to partner with. I need you to grab it. I need you to operate in it. I need, I need full confidence. I need full un, unwavering assurance. And ultimately, he strikes the rock again in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Because for some reason, I didn't grab the other verses. They got deleted for some reason. Verse 12 says this. It said, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you do not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land that I'm giving them. In other words, because you did not fully grasp, you did not fully lay hold of, you did not fully trust out, step out, you didn't... Tr because you didn't surrender that crutch, surrender that stick. Because of that, this is as far as you go. This is as far progressed as things go. Because I've revealed and I've revealed and I've revealed. But there's a, there becomes a stagnation in your life over God says, listen, there's a partnership to this. There's a grabbing hold of. There's a laying hold of. There's a doing something with what you see. Doing something with what is being revealed and this morning very simply I wonder up just a question for you before we're all finished because I wonder and you've heard this said over the years if you're not actually waiting on God if God is actually wish, waiting on you that he's revealed he's reminded he's sent confirmation after confirmation many of you Maybe in this room are frustrated that every time you pray, you hear the same thing. Or maybe every time you pray, you don't hear nothing, and all that's echoing in your mind is the last thing that you said. Because prayer, once again, it brings things to the surface. It puts things in focus. It reveals. It uncovers. But there's a responsibility. There's a grabbing. There's a laying hold of. What do you do with, with what you see? What do you do with, with what you see? say, God, teach us to pray, teach us to discern, teach us to see clearly. But I'm wondering this morning if God has remind you, reminded you time and time again to start that business. He's given you that idea. And He's just waiting. He's actually just waiting on you to grab it. He's actually waiting on you to reach over and to lay hold of and to grab and to know that what He's showed you is true. God is not a farmer with a carrot and you're not a donkey. He hasn't used these things just to entice us to get to a certain place, but he's waiting for us to lay hold of, to grab hold of what it is that he's risen 
to the surface and put in your sights. The things that have frustrated you, the things that, all of these things, I just, once again, simple word this morning. But I'm wondering if you would have just the boldness, the confidence to reach out and to grab it. Let me just pray for you this morning. Father, I pray for every individual that's in this room. God, and I pray for a confidence to rise. And we talked about this last week, about how vision breeds confidence. When I see clearly, I move confidently. But Lord, there's a step that happens next. Prayer unearths things. It brings things to the surface. Reveals things, brings things into clarity. God, and I believe now more than ever, as I've shared over the over this year, about how this time hasn't really changed us, it's just exposed us. It has revealed what is in us, it has revealed what is around us, it has revealed to many of us you more clearly, your promise more clearly. But God, I pray over the things that you've revealed to every person in this room. God, I pray for the courage to grab a hold of, to start that business, even though the economy may seem uncertain and shaky. I don't know why I keep coming back to that, but that's for somebody in here this morning. That God has given you a business idea. He has risen it to the surface, and every time you pray about it, it's beginning to get more and more clear. And you keep waiting for the right time. And God is saying, I wouldn't give it to you if it wasn't the right time. I wouldn't show it to you if it wasn't the right time. If it wasn't the right time, I wouldn't reveal it. So for whoever, who that's for, I just feel like God is saying, listen, grab it, lay hold of it. It's time. Let's go. Let's run. Does it make sense? Yeah, most things don't make sense that God asks us to do. But His grace is sufficient. God, I pray that the things that are being revealed in this time, the changes that we need to make at home, the changes that we need to make in our business, the changes that we need to make in our involvement with church, God, the things that we need to change in our habits and routines, the things that you've risen to the surface, you're saying to lay hold of it, to grab it, to run, to go. What do we do with what we see? God, today, I just pray for a courage in the room to lay hold of what it is you've been revealing to us. Lay hold of what it is you've been revealing to us. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to give the opportunity this morning that maybe as I've been speaking, maybe in your lead into church this morning, maybe over this last week or several weeks, you've realized maybe this morning you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus or maybe over these last several weeks and months you've realized this and your relationship with Jesus has wandered apart and stripped it away just before we're finished today I, I can't go another moment without giving the opportunity for you to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time maybe it's a rededication prayer this morning but you know that if you were to die Slip from this life and into the next. Your eternity would not be spent with Jesus. It would be spent eternally separated. 
And I want to give you the opportunity this morning to make that decision. To make the decision to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So do me a favor, just everybody in the room, would you repeat this prayer after me all together as a family? Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for the price that you paid so that I could be free. Today, I acknowledge my need for you. And I ask you to come into my heart. Come and make me brand new. I repent of the things I've done wrong. And from this day forward, I ask you to be my Savior, to be my Lord, and to be my friend. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer today, making a decision in your heart to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, maybe for the first time, or maybe today was you reconnecting back with Him, reconnecting that relationship, putting Him back as a leader and Lord of your life. I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you right where you are. So if you do me a favor, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, on the count of three, if you know you made a decision in your heart today, would you put your hand up and then put it right back down? I'll see it. I'm just going to pray for you right in your seat. It's just between you and God. Listen, the Bible says that when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Raising your hand doesn't make it more official. I believe it just makes it more real to you. So that you know, you know what? No, I did make a decision today. So if that's you, just on the count of three, would you put your hand up and you can put it right back down. One, God loves you so much. Two, three. If that's you, just put it up, put it right back down. Yes, God bless you. Just as I look across this room. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for this incredible individual who's made the greatest decision of their life. Father, your word says that all of heaven celebrates when just one comes to know you. So, Lord, I want to be guilty of celebrating the things that heaven celebrates. So in a moment, we're going to all cheer. We're going to celebrate this greatest thing that could happen out of today's service. Somebody surrendering their life, whether for the first time or again, to you. God, I know that this life isn't easy. You never said it would be easy, but you said it would be worth it. But we know it's easier when we do it together. So, Father, we commit to being a community, a family of believers. We don't have it all together, but we're pursuing the one that does. Encouraging one another along the way. So would they know that they're in a safe place, in a community that wants to see them win, see the promises of God unfold in their life. And Lord, today we ask just for your nearness to them. God, we pray for an encouragement in the journey. and We rally together as a family, celebrating the greatest decision today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we just celebrate that right now? Hey.